So if we turn to Genesis chapter uh, 33, um, I just want to talk a little bit about maybe the next few Sundays if God gives it, uh, being present in his presence and being present in the presence of God. And when we look at Genesis 33 verse 13, I want to look at three verses today. I want to talk about the slow work of God. Then I want to talk about God's slow pace. He's getting us to be alone with him. And then number three, being present in the presence of God. And we kind of, this kind of, this message kind of debuted Thursday night when we were at Rodney's house. And I just feel like that the Lord was uh, speaking to the body this, this message. I like to talk like that, by the way. The Lord is speaking to the body. Because God doesn't just talk to one person. I'm not the Pope here, by the way. Okay? You guys know that. But God speaks to the body. And when we, a lot of times, 90% of my, the sermons that I speak are really from times I'm spending with you guys one-on-one. God's speaking to me through you. So don't stop talking to me. Genesis 33, verse 13. But Jacob said to him, remember the scene? Jacob, he's just spent time with the Lord. He slept on a, slept on a rock with a pillow. He's been in the presence of uh, with Christ, and he has the, he sees this ladder of angels going up and down on the ladder. We see the traffic between heaven and earth, and Jacob gets to be a part of that. And so J- Jacob here is now the next day, he meets with Esau, and he's had this dysfunctional relationship with his brother. It's very awkward, and he was very fearful because of what happened in their past, and that Jacob now has the birthright, and Esau doesn't. And so they meet they have this beautiful, heartfelt exchange. And Genesis 33, it's after the conversation. And in verse 13, Jacob says to him, Esau's like, hey, let's go together to Sire. And Jacob and Esau says, I will go before you. And then Jacob said to him in verse 13, my Lord, Esau, knows. And we can also put the Lord's name in there. My Lord knows that the children are frail. So remember, Jacob is traveling with his whole band of family there's kids there's little baby animals it's like this little farm and family that are traveling in a nomadic way Jacob was not a pyramid builder by the way Jacob was not this great achiever but Jacob was a man who was just kind of meandering through the promised land and he says here my lord knows the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herds are a care to me Listen to this. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Did you ever read that verse? Have you ever seen that verse before? You guys have. Because, yeah, I've heard 32 messages on this. Okay? If I overdrive the flocks for more than one day, they're going to all die. Jacob represents the shepherd heart of Jesus Christ here. God's work is slow. We talked about this Thursday night. Esau represents the nervous unsettled energy of the flesh he represents the guy who had it all but missed out on the spiritual blessing he's got it all he's this handsome successful hunter acquirer he's this incredible guy but he loses something he loses his spiritual portion jacob represents the shepherd heart of god that's really moving slow god moves slow If you look at the slow move of God throughout the Old Testament, all the prophets, the 40 years in the desert, Moses is 40 years in the desert of preparation for the 40 years in the desert. And then there's this preparation work. And then there's all the kings and all the judges and all the prophets. 
millennia are passing by, preparing the world for Jesus Christ to arrive. And yet, when he arrives, there's only a handful of shepherds there because they got the news that night by a host of angels. God's work is slow. It's really slow. It's really slow. It's very slow. And we don't like slow. <laughs> Esau doesn't like slow. Esau's like, man, I, I, hey, I love you, bro, but I, I'm going to, I got my horse here. He's not going to be able to, he's not going to be able to move at three miles an hour. I need to move forward. Esau speaks of the flesh, the energy of the flesh. In Christianity today, in our lives today, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our personal lives. A missionary from Japan that was a missionary to Thailand wrote this about the slow work of God. His name is Koyama. And he says, God walks slowly because he is love. Listen to this. I said this Thursday night, but listen to it again. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. Are you following me? It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. Now, we're talking about the work of God, how it moves. It's a slow move of God. It moves slow. It's an inner speed. It's a speed of love. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed. Now, he's writing this in 1975 or early 70s. It's a different kind of speed. God's speed is different from the technological speed to which we are accustomed to. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds because it's the speed of love. Are you following me? It's, when we talk about love here, we're not talking about sentimental love, phileo love. We're talking about agape love that has laid down its life. It's Lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. Now, Koyama says that God moves at three miles an hour. Why? Because that's the walking speed. Actually, walking speed is a little faster than that. I think it's four miles an hour. But here, I mean, maybe Asians are shorter or maybe not as big as us gringos or Anglos. But it moves at three miles an hour. It is a speed, listen, it is a speed we walk, and therefore it is a speed the love of God walks. How fast is God moving in your life? <laughs> step by step, man, right? Step by step, day by day. It's like we don't have any guarantee we're going to make it through this day. Tomorrow is not a promise, yesterday is gone. And all we have today, and today, this moment, God is moving very slow. Isn't that comforting? There's no rush. There's no goals. There's no scorecards we got to meet. There's no checklists. God is moving at a slow speed. Why? Because it's a speed of love. I remember I was living in Poland. What I do when I was single, I take it every weekend, and now I realize that it's the pastor of the church probably didn't really appreciate this so much. He's a team leader, but I would take all the, I take all the young people. Like we're all in our early twenties, and I just we'd all go to the mountains all day. We'd leave Friday night. We'd be in the mountains Saturday, and we'd get there late Saturday night back to Krakow, Poland. We'd go to the mountains. It was about an hour drive south. Beautiful mountains, Tatry Mountains in southern Poland, and we just climb. We just climb. We go on these random, you know, random hikes into the mountains. We'd spend the night in these really sketchy communist 
uh, wooden, ca wooden cabins. And you'd get there, you didn't know who was going to be there, if it, all the beds were taken or not. It was just this one big room, like of just bunk beds. Some, most of them were just not sleepable because communists didn't take care of anything. And we'd go there, we'd be there. And I just remember one time, and it would be snowing. It'd be a nice day, you know, it'd be like a nice day like now. But then in the, on the top of the mountain, there's one mountain called Bavia Gorda, which is like, uh, which is, uh, I don't know how you translate that in English, but it was a big mountain. And we, we went up it, and it was snowing. It was snowing. We didn't have internet. We didn't have texting. We had no emails. We, no cell phones. We had no idea what was going on in the world. We just had Time magazine that came out once a month. <laughs> and so we're up in this mountain. We have no idea what the weather's going to be. And we get up there, start snowing. I mean, like, blizzard-like. And I'm with these people. I'm with these young people. And they're 17, 16-year-olds old. I can't even believe that these people gave me their teens to do this with. We're up in the mountains. And we're, we need to get off this mountain. We're going to freeze. So we're, we're going down this mountain. I have, I have one girl who is a little... She was a little handicapped. And so I had to, like, hold her like this. And I had this other guy who was, like, 16 years old. He was exhausted. This young kid, I had to like drag him along. I had these two people going down the hill. And when you're going down the hill, sometimes you're going up a little bit, right? And we're going up, and he's just like, hey, can I just go to sleep right here? I just want to cry. It was like maybe about 10 at night. And I'm thinking, man, if we go to sleep on this trail, we're not waking up. I said, we're moving so slow. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? And I remember just, and then the girl, she had to stop every like five steps. I had to take a breather. And it was like, I was so impatient. And I'm walking along, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with her? Why did she come on this trip? You know how all these crazy, like, it might have been better if she didn't come, and this is not edifying. And, and then I'm like, God, why? And it's snowing, and it's freezing. We're not dressed right. And, and it's like nothing like this ever happens in, Houston, in Texas. And, and we're cold, and we're breathing. We're, like, breathing ice. And I was like, God, why is this happening? He goes, this is the way it is with you sometimes. It's the way I have to walk with you. I just remember all those thoughts. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I want to go to sleep. I want to quit. I want to lay down. God's like, no, we've got to keep moving or you're going to die. I was like, okay. So, all right, I've just been humbled by the Holy Spirit in a live situation. And we get down the mountain. We get to the bottom of the mountain. We don't, there's no hotel there. This is, we're in countryside. We're like, these are villages. So we go to this barn. There's this big barn. We knock on the door of the, of, the, of the farmer there. We're in some backwoods of Poland. Knock on the door. And there's like 10 of us, 10 or 12 of us. And it's like maybe 11, 11.30 at night. You know, there's no lights. He gets up. A candle comes on. He comes to the door. It's like something out of a movie. Like he's got this cap on. He's like this long thing. And I'm like, where are we? <laughs> and he comes to the door and he's like, and I said in broken Polish, I said, you know, hey, we're just, we got lost in the mountains. We need a place to stay. And. Can we sleep in your barn? Can we, no, can you, can you put us up for the night? And he's like, he goes, I have no room in my house, but I can put you in the barn. Sounds like the Jesus story, doesn't it? Yeah. So he brings us to his barn, and the barn is just filled with hay, like these mountains of hay, you know? And he goes, you can sleep there. So we all climb up this mountain of hay, and we just like lay down. You ever sleep on hay? No. You guys haven't lived until you spent the night on hay. You know, there's ducks and there's chickens walking around. There's eggs and there's like cows and it stinks. It's really snowy. And we're just sleeping there and we fall asleep. And we wake up and I wake up and I like, I don't even know where I am. 
I'm inside the haystack. I'm like inside, like covered with hay. Like I can't, I don't know what side is up and down and so is everybody else. As we get up and we're just all laughing, we thought, man, let's do that again next weekend. I just thought about the slow work of God is so annoying, isn't it? You can get so annoyed, like, God, when am I going to experience victory? Hey, maybe in 12 years. You know, I don't know. I don't know what God's plan is. When I went to Bible school, our pastor said, there are things that some of you are struggling with that you're not going to experience physical victory. And, and like, it may take you three years. So give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Don't rush ahead of the plan of God. God is working. One thing about I love about the plan of God, and you may think I'm going to be a Calvinist when I say this, but I like this, that God is going to get you from point A to point B in the plan of God, even if he has to beat you through the keyhole. He's going to get us through the closed doors in our life. Somebody said that years ago, and I love that about the plan of God. Faithful is he who he began something in your life, and he's going to be faithful to complete it. We are creatures bound to time. We are time aware. We understand our flesh. Our flesh has an expiration date. You ever feel that? Like an expiration date. We know that someday we're going to die. We don't know when that date is going to be. But someday we're going to die. And so we think, I was talking to somebody else recently. They're in their 50s. And they said, look, I'm in my 50s. I need to go on the short training. I need to go on your short training program so I can jump into ministry quicker. I was like, okay. There, we don't have any of those. <laughs> we just got the plan of God the way it is. And, and so, like, we want to race. Why? Because the flesh wants to, wants to push. The flesh is Esau. Jacob understands that. You know what? And this is why God's not working in your life a thousand miles an hour. That's why he's not. That's why he can't answer all these prayers at once. Because if he did, all the young capacity, the young fruit, all the people in your life are going to be so destroyed, they're going to be so run down, run over, that they will perish. God walks with us because he loves us. Think of the road to Emmaus. I love this story, man. Jesus here, he's got a, he's got a church to commission. He's got the Holy Spirit to send uh, in Acts chapter 2. He's got he's to give gifts in, in Ephesians chapter 4 to all mankind. He's got a lot to do. He's got a lot to do on his schedule. Yet he has time to wander with a group of lost men going in the wrong direction in the plan of God. And he's laughing with these guys. And Jesus is like saying, hey guys, guess what? I rose from the dead. See, hello. No, it wasn't any of that. Jesus is talking with these guys. There's no pressure. He's patient. He's walking. And he's, they're going over the scriptures. He's talking with them. There's this conversation going on. And then, then they say, hey, bud, hey, you want to spend the night with us? Hang out with us? Jesus is like, okay, i got nothing else to do. I'm going to spend the night with you. So he spends the night with them. He's walking. He's eye contact. I read somewhere in a parenting thing that if you spend uh, four minutes of eye contact with your child, that promotes intimacy. Isn't that cool? I've been practicing that, just having four minutes at least of eye contact with people. Because it fosters intimacy. That's the first thing I want to say. Is that the, the, plan, the plan of God is slow. And slow is fast. We've heard that. It's not, the plan of God is not filled with these clever little cliches. It's not, it's not set up. God's plan is not geared to us. To say, hey, like, you're going to have 12 of your goals. And that's why it's hard for me to use productivity software and productivity books. 
Because I write this, all this stuff down, and it just never goes the way you think it's going to go. God's plan is slow. Amen? Why is it slow? Because God is patient. He's walking with us. And I'm so happy about that because there's no expectations. There's no ideals. There's no things that we need to, that we need to meet. Amen? The plan of God is slow. And you know what? Some people may need 40 years in the desert, and we just write them off. We're like, okay, that guy's not spiritual. He left God. He left the church. And we just cross their names off, right? God has a plan for them. The second thing I want to say is this. Psalm 62, verses 1 to 2. God's pace is, in God's slow pace, he's getting us alone with him. This is the hard part, okay? God's slow pace is getting us alone with him. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. In Psalm 62, verse 1. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David writes a little later in Psalm 88, verse 18, which is just a psalm about darkness. You want to read that? He said, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. You know, God slows us down. God slows the program down. Actually, God walks, Jesus walks so slow. He comes on the scene. He's walking 30 years. He's walking 30 years and there's no ministry going on. Okay, Jesus has 33, 33 years. Think of this with me, okay? Millennia have passed. Prophecies have come. Jesus shows up and then it's like so anticlimactic. It's crickets. Isn't that weird? Like you look at the planet. You ever looked at the timeline of Jesus' life? And here is 30 years. What's Jesus doing today? Well, he's going to help dad uh, get some wood from the shed. He's going to cut some wood. He's going he's to tally up with some customers that need to pay. And he's going to go out maybe do a little marketing for his business. I don't know what Jesus, Jesus was working with a dad who, had a, who was self-employed. <laughs> yeah, he was a carpenter. And that was what Jesus was doing. And that's what the God of the universe is doing for 30 years. Can you get it? Can, can you figure it? It's unbelievable. I can, I'd be like, okay, day one, Jesus, okay. Uh, you, Jesus, you need to grow up a little bit faster because we need you on the we need you on the platform here. We need you to get with the program. Age 12 comes. Okay, he's in the temple. Now, maybe this is when it's going to happen. Okay, Jesus, a Jewish child at the age of 12 actually become, that's his date of maturity. We're going to commission him into the ministry at the age of 12. Nope. He's in there. He talks, and then he disappears again for, for just another for another umpteen years. This is crazy, the plan of God. The plan of God, Jesus walks so slow, he walks to a full stop. His pace goes so slow, it slows down the last week of his life in Jerusalem, and then he's crucified. The plan of God is so slow and so meticulous and can become so monotonous that Jesus actually is nailed to a cross. He ain't going anywhere. He's not doing anything. I mean, you look at, you know, the high achievers look at Jesus and they say, what a disappointment. We were expecting so much to be done. Judas was one of these people. He was the PR man. Judas kind of said things like this. Hey, look, if you listen to me, you're going to get popular. You're going to be well known. I know how it is in this culture. You're new on the scene. Jesus allows himself to be pinned down. And yet in his immobility, and we fear immobility, don't we? We fear immobility. We fear, I fear it. All of us fear it. We fear elderly years because we feel that's when I'm going to be immobile and I won't be able to be so, so effective. And so God 
allows himself to be immobilized on the cross and he's on the cross and then he's talking he's speaking he's speaking to enemy i mean to the to the atmosphere he's speaking to people he's speaking to his family he's speaking to the future church and he's saying father forgive them for they know not what they do here's a man who's been betrayed he's immobilized because of people's betrayal by sight he can't seem to fulfill his ministry and yet he's speaking forgiveness you know why because when we sin, we have no idea what we're doing. We don't know the impact of it. That just happened to me the last two weeks. Somebody just, you know, like, we've been loving on and encouraging and, and just, I don't know, just turns their heel against us. And it's like, and you, you literally know that that person doesn't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. And that's why forgiveness is so amazing. And there's Jesus pinned down. He's immobilized. And yet, in his state of immobilization, he's so effective. He's so powerful. He's changing. He's pulling down kingdoms. And he's tearing down nations. And he's raising up uh, the broken nation of Israel. And he's raising up his church. God's slow pace, the purpose of it is to get us alone with him. And David said here, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. You can read this in a different way. You can read it this way. For God, comma, alone my soul waits in silence, right? We could put the comma in the wrong place and live in our own loneliness. I'm alone in this silence. Has God caused some silence in our lives? He has, in my life. Has God caused some quietness in your life? Has God not allowed us to connect with some people that we are really connected with because he's dealing with us in a very, he wants to immobilize us to a cross and nail us down? And we say, God, I'm alone in my silence. And David said, but no, we got to read this a different way. For God alone, God is in our loneliness. He's there. He's present in our loneliness. For God alone, comma, my soul waits in silence. Isn't that beautiful? In my aloneness. You ever feel alone? I have. Oh, my gosh. It's just that, that deep dark pit of loneliness and desperation and fear like what am I doing maybe I made a bad decision maybe this wasn't God's will you ever think that way maybe it was just me maybe I was just thinking my own thoughts I don't know and I, I can't I don't want to think that way because I don't know I I trust that the Lord leads me he said he alone is my rock is he in your aloneness are we crying out to God, the God of our aloneness? He is present. I think when I was a teenager, when I was 17, flunking out of high school, I had to take all these night classes. I had just gotten a vision from my life. I'd gone on a mission trip, and God spoke to me about just in one, in seven days, revolutionized my life. I was on the mission field in Europe, saw the missional life, saw ministry, and, and was just like, I was like, man, I just sensed like the call into discipleship. And I came back and I just remember like walking to school, this, we didn't take buses or whatever, walking to school, coming home late at night, parents didn't have, didn't have a vehicle to pick me up in. And I'm walking home and I'm like 17 thinking, what's gonna happen with my life? I, hopefully I'm gonna be able to get these credits I need to graduate from high school. I remember thinking that. And I remember walking home through my little town back to my house in, up in New England and New Hampshire and just sensing the presence of God on me. Sensing the presence of God. I said, what is this presence? You know, like, you ever feel that? You ever sense the presence of God? And you're like, I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. 
but I think there's this favor on my life. And I, it's, I'm nothing. I'm like, I was just like this lost teenager, very lost, <laughs> extra lost. And I sensed the presence of God on me. And I walked home and I was just like, kind of didn't want to disturb it. I just wanted to kind of meditate on it and kind of figure out what it was. And I just remember in the silence of, of unsurety and not knowing what my future looked like, there was a presence. There was a presence. You know, when we're alone, when we get alone, when David got alone in, in Psalm 88, verse 18, there was a lot of dark thoughts that came to his mind. You ever get alone and darkness comes in? Yeah. <laughs> Just dark thoughts come to your mind? You know, Jeff was sharing with us, you know, like sometimes he'd wake up and he goes, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of here. You know, like these dark thoughts, you know, these dark thoughts come. And you know something? In that darkness... We said this last week, that Jesus was born in the manger. Don't you love that? That Jesus is not ashamed of our darkness, but he was born in the midst of it. I just love that. And so, I just want to say a couple things about the fear of missing out, FOMO. Do you know that, you know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. This is something that was added to the Oxford Dictionary in 2013. It's become a real term, and it's something that happens because we are living in a spectator, a spectator life. And according to this Darlene McLaughlin, she's an MD from AMM, she said this, that at least 13% of the population are diagnosed with a condition called social anxiety. Okay, st- stay with me here, social anxiety. She said this, it's easy to define our lives based on virtual crowd watching, critiquing, and applauding our every move. It's even easier to conform to the crowd's mold constantly measuring our lives against a celebrity's Instagram post or a friend's life event. We live, when we live in, when we, when this darkness is coming at us and we are alone with God, God has cornered us into a place where we can no longer mobilize, we can no longer do something that we could do to prop up our ego, then these dark thoughts can come in and we can start living in fear. The problem with fear the fear of missing out is the individuals it impacts are looking outward. When, we're th- when, we're, you know, when God slows things down, when God gets us in a place where he wants us, and we're cornered, we're like Jacob that's in, the, you know, that's in this land where he's a foreigner. God corners him there, and then he is struggling, and he has this dream where he meets Christ, and he sees the, the ladder, the angels going up and down the ladder. At that moment, there's this, there is this, there is this, temptation to live in fear that I'm missing something. How about, how about Paul when he leaves for three years and goes to the Arabian desert? Is he, is he fearing that he's going to miss out? The problem with fear, FOMO, is the individual's impacts are looking outward instead of inward. When you are so tuned to the others or the better life that you're seeing on social media, we lose our authentic sense of who we are in Christ and in the body of Christ. When I'm living the observer's life, when I'm living the spectator's life, and when social media can dictate to me who I am, and when I'm trying to please social media and my own soul is falling apart because it's, it's dark, at that moment, I am not understanding the value of who I am in Christ and what my portion is in the body of Christ. Okay, and then I just want to finish with this. Habakkuk 2 verse 20. I remember living in Ukraine and I just remember it was a hard time, and it was just very interesting what was going on. 
I'm sitting in my apartment. I lived in an apartment. Can't even believe, it didn't even have a bathroom. This is just so interesting. It was like this little place. You walk in, I think it was like maybe the size of a closet. And you walk in, you walk in the front door, and immediately there's a refrigerator, immediately there's a, sho- there's, there's a sink right there. Right next to the sink is a shower. Like it's all kind of this compact thing. And to, you go, you turn to the left a little bit, and there's just a bedroom, and that's it. That was all I had. No, and there's like a little desk. I remember sitting in there. The bathroom was outside. <clears throat> it wasn't heated, and there was no running water. I remember that, when, you know, in the middle of the night when you had to use the bathroom, if it was freezing that night, there's a little bucket there to, to, to um, clean the toilet. That bucket would freeze with water. And if somebody had visited the bathroom before you, you're going into the bathroom, you're looking at the toilet, and there's this massive piece of ice cube that somebody had dumped in there from the bucket and left it there because there was no light. Lovely days. And I was there, and I remember sitting there just thinking about, just, you know, I'm single. What's going on? Is this God even in this? This whole Ukraine, the whole country, are, are the Russians going to be coming in with their tanks any day now? There's demonstrations on the street. I don't have any money. It was just nuts. And I remember sitting there fretting about lots of things, and I opened to, I don't know how I got the scripture, but I was reading Habakkuk 2, and this is in verse 20. Read this with me. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Get the impact of this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Wow, when that hit me, I was like, I was on my face before God. I was like, there's so much soul noise, there's so much darkness, there's just so much talk, there's so much opinions in my soul. I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, these fears, that fears. And it was so noisy in my soul, God said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Just worship him, get quiet, get on your face before God. And don't even expect from God answers. Just let him be who he is and be in his presence. And that moment, I just remember, and as a teenager, a 17-year-old, learning how to practice the presence of God was one of the most important things that I learned as a Christian. Learning how to be aware of something other than myself. Not aware of some spiritual beings, angels. That's, that's something weird. But being aware of the person of Christ. The person. And if you want to learn how to do that, read the Gospels. Just look at the life of Jesus. Digest that. Meditate on that. Let the earth keep silent. Because when we get cornered, and this happens to unsaved people too, when we get cornered in life, we can either be like the rat that gets cornered and turns around and wants to fight. Remember one time living in, um, in, uh, uh, living in, when I was in high school, we were living in a place, an old, old, old house that we were renting, a family's renting. There's an old barn out back. And there was rats that would run in and out of there all the time. And so I, we, me and my brother thought it was cool to chase some rats and, you know, torture them, whatever. And these were big ones. We were like small cats. We'd be like chasing them. We're like, maybe I was like 12, you know. Had no idea. Ever chase a rat? Okay. I don't know how they are in Texas, but in New Hampshire, they're not happy beings. And so we cornered one, me and my brother. And he runs into the corner. And he turns around. And he's like, <sighs> he does this thing like that. We're like, whoa. <laughs> and we just turn around. We just ran. And I just remember, that's what we can do when God corners us. But instead of that, in the silence, acknowledge the presence of God. Let's redefine the word silence. Let's let's redefine that word. Silence is acknowledging the presence of God undisturbed. It doesn't mean there's noiselessness. There's always going to be noise, especially if you have kids. It's going to be nonstop noise. You're going to wake up, noise. Go to bed, noise. All night, noise. Last night, there were these storms. 
I know what's going on. I sleep with earplugs, okay? So there's this storm. I don't really hear much. Caleb wakes up. My wife goes and takes care of him. I'm such a good dad. And, and so, like, and I hear this, like, somebody's knocking on our bedroom door. What's that noise? Like, so I wake up. I say, who's, at our, who's at our bedroom door? I'm hearing this knocking, you know? So I open the door to my dog. My dog does this thing where he's, like, scratching the door. And... Um, silence all the time, it's noise all the time. I don't know why I brought that story up, but anyway. I open the door, the dog walks in, climbs under our bed. Silence is acknowledging the presence of God. We may not have quietness audio-wise. It's one guy, his name is Gordon Hempton, and he's an audio ecologist. You ever hear of these audio ecologists? Okay, this is what he writes. He says, it's not, listen to this, it's not easy to find silence in the modern world. If a quiet place is one where you can listen for 15 minutes in daylight, hours, without hearing a human-created sound, then there are no quiet places left in Europe. This guy's from Europe, I guess. There's no quiet places. There are none east of the Mississippi. I'll agree with that. And the American West, he says there's 12 quiet places. I don't know where he gets that number. But we are living in a world that does not stop talking. It does not stop moving. It does not stop expressing itself. When we learn how to quiet ourselves, I'm going to finish with this. When we learn how to quiet ourselves, you know how to do that? I find that I, if I have too much stimulants, I can't quiet myself. I, it, and it's like, I have to get rid of sugar, and I just have to get rid of this stuff that just makes my, my, my nervous system so active. When we get alone with God in these places where God has cornered us, because he wants us to know him in quietness, and we don't live, and we, the dark thoughts are there. Sometimes people are running, 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 running in our life because there's dark thoughts chasing us and we gotta keep moving. I, was, I told you the story about this guy, I was, in a, I was in a taxi from, I told this story Thursday night, from Bishkek to Amati in Kazakhstan and we're driving and thinking, I'm just really looking forward to a quiet three and a half hour ride in the back of a taxi that's running on propane. It smells like it's gonna blow up any minute. There's propane leaking everywhere. And so I'm in this car, and I'm going to open my Bible, and just have some quiet time, and he turns the radio on. Okay? He's a Muslim, he's got his little cap on there, and, and uh, he's driving like, he's like, a, he's like driving like a, a bat out of Hades. <laughs> he's H-E, hel- double hel- uh, ho- H-E double hockey stick. And he's like driving crazy, and, like, and, and I'm like, sir, can you turn off the radio? And he goes, no. I go, why not? I'm paying you for this ride. He goes, I can't have silence. I go, why not? He goes, because my thoughts trouble me so much. I gotta have, I gotta always have noise. I gotta have noise when I'm sleeping. Why? Because of darkness. Listen to God in silence. And when we do that, guess what silence reveals? I'm gonna finish here. You know what silence reveals? When God gets really quiet in our life, it reveals some really interesting things. It reveals pretense. It reveals self-righteousness. It reveals falseness and hypocrisy and self-importance. Why? Because when I'm quiet, I'm thinking, I deserve stuff. I deserve this. Why is this not happening? Or I'm better than this person. There's no room to hide. When, we're, when God has gotten us quiet, and we're cornered, and we're in his little place there, and we don't have any energy, we don't have any money, we can't go live in our sublimations over there, we can't do this where we usually go when we're down, we have nowhere to go. Guess what happens? There's no room to hide. It's no room to hide. And, and guess what happens? We are left with ourselves in all of our brokenness. But not just that. We are left alone with God. 
And doesn't it say that in Genesis? Yeah. It says that Jacob was alone with the angel of the Lord. What do we do when that happens? When God socially removes things from our life. When God physically removes things from our life. When God removes certain blessings that we have in our emotions. What happens? When God removes people from our life. That's not fun. I don't like that. That hurts me a lot. When we acknowledge God in the silence, we open up a space where we can meet with God. Just acknowledge and say, God, it's all this darkness. My phone's dead. My battery died. I'm in a car. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm nailed down here. Open up a space for God and meet with him. Prayer is a daily willingness to place ourselves on the threshold of God's doorstep and wait there. So what is silent? When God gets us to a silent place, there may be a lot of noise, but it's a silent heart. And in Habakkuk 2, verse 20, this is what I'm getting from that verse, that when we are silent before God, that's a fitting response to be in the presence of a holy, mighty God. Isn't that amazing? Just be quiet in his presence. Like sometimes when I get alone with God, I have all these prayer requests, and I just, God's just like, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to just... I'm just going to be in your presence and just, okay, I'm going to be in your presence and be present in your presence. And I'm not going to try to think all this stuff. And I can't figure this all out. I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any answers to the problem. I wish I did. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for years. I've studied the Bible. I've graduated from Bible school. But I'm sorry, I don't have any answers for you. You need to get alone with God. And when we do that, we acknowledge His holiness. Let me just finish with this. When we allow God to slow us down, we're being healed from social anxiety. We're going to get healed. We're going to let it alone. We're going to let God. We're going to let God open us up and go in there and fix things and just heal us with His love and heal us with His patience and heal us with His presence and heal us with His word. He's going to speak into our lives and He's going to heal us. And then make it. When we live that way, when we live that way, what's going to happen in our in your relationships? Your relationships are going to take on. A different aspect. You're going to be more present in your relationships. You're going to be more present with your with your business. You're going to be more present with with people. You're going to be more present with the presence of God. Amen. Let's pray.